It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, boys down with the traitor, up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, shouting the battle cry of Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only on KNews FM 98.5. I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help folks protect their families and real estate in their estate plans. I also represent farming, industrial, and commercial landowners. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases and it has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances. I have served repeatedly as Superior Court Special Master, and I have represented both the Democratic Party and Republican candidates in court. On Slow County Public Policy and the Law, office holders, lawyers, and activists appear to inform you about government actions shaping your lives. Last week, I had Kim Weber, a certified general real estate appraiser, tell us about all kinds of appraisals and when you should get your home, business, or farm appraised. I also interviewed election law lawyer Kevin Schenkman about the California Voting Rights Act and why he has demanded that San Luis Obispo adopt council elections by districts. If you missed last week's show, log into the podcast of the interviews at knews985.com. That's K-N-E-W-S-985.com. I'm pleased to chat in our first hour with Santa Barbara County Supervisor Joan Hartman. In our second hour, Presiding Judge of the Superior Court, Craig Van Royen, will tackle a subject that has recently been of critical interest to every Californian, grand juries and trial juries. But now... Let me welcome to the show Joan Hartman. Welcome, Joan. Thank you, Stu. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, it's awfully good to have you on the air. Uh, what what I like to do with my listeners is make sure they know the background of uh, my guests, and so I just wanted to ask you a few background questions. You know, uh, how long have you lived in Santa Barbara County? Well, we bought our house uh, in San Ynez Valley in 1998, uh, and we were commuting from Los Angeles, uh, where our daughter was still in school, and the day she graduated in 20, uh, 2004, we moved here full-time. Wonderful. Did you want to let folks about your business background, education, uh, what your vocation or profession has been? Sure. Well... I started my career in the academic world, uh, and I was an assistant professor and director of the public policy program at the Claremont Graduate School. Then I became an assistant professor at Oberlin College, and I taught environmental policy and law and government. And then I had an opportunity to actually practice what I'd been teaching, and I worked for the Congressional Research Service, the uh, U.S. Department of the Interior. I I later then got a law degree in Portland, Oregon uh, at the Lewis and Clark 
Northwestern School of Law. I worked for US EPA Region 3 in Philadelphia. Wow. And then I came back to Los Angeles and worked uh, for a nonprofit American Oceans campaign and then later for uh, the State Coastal Conservancy on a uh, public-private partnership called the Wetlands Recovery Project. So you have a little bit of experience with public policy. Well, I was interested to know that you have a law degree in your interest as well. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, we, we do have something in common. My uh, great One of my great-grandfathers was a trustee of Oberlin and, uh, and actually met his wife there when he was a student there uh, when they were both working to um, end slavery and uh, help... Uh, oh, that's wonderful. But, Oberlin was the first uh, college to admit women and the first to admit blacks. It was a station on the Underground Railroad. Right. It has a really wonderful history, and uh, I met my husband there. <laughs> and, and, and my great-grandmother was one of those first women admitted. So it's, Oh, what? It's, uh, Could yeah. you give me your name? I just want to put that down for my husband. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, uh, I'll send you that offline. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I couldn't convince my daughter to go because I took her there to tour in uh, the winter interregnum. And, uh, and you know, California girl, when it was 25 degrees out, she said, I want to I stay in California, Dad. <laughs> oh, you're lucky. Well, it has a tremendous lake effect, and it gets cloudy for months. Oh, yeah. But uh, it, it is... Uh, I used to squint and pretend I could see mountains because it's very flat. So pretend there were uh, the clouds were mountains. I miss the California too, but it it is a wonderful institution. Well, we're we're glad you're here in California, and uh, of course, a lot of people got here because the weather is just so much nicer here. Well, I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your work as supervisor. You're uh, you're in the third district now, aren't you? I am indeed. Uh, with the census, we had redistricting, and mm-hmm. so the third district looks very different than it had previously. Uh, so now um, I have sixty uh, percent of my constituents are new. Wow! And uh, I lost Isla Vista, and I gained Lompoc. Well, uh, Lompoc is a beautiful town, and uh, it, it has a lot of things going for it. Um, well, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you were doing to promote resiliency, if anything, in the county of Santa Barbara. And can you tell folks what you think resiliency is? Let me tell you about my first year on the Board of Supervisors. Um, I came in as chair of the board, and we had quite a year. We had uh, a bluff collapse in Isla Vista. We had... Uh, El Capitan uh, debris flow. We had the fire, uh, the Whittier fire, where people, mostly children, were trapped and fortunately got out. And then we had the Thomas fire and the debris flow. So it was quite a year, uh, not just for me coming in. And and we were also about to fire uh, 100 people because of the budget situation. And so that year really imprinted everyone, I think, in the county, uh, understanding that we've got to be more nimble and adaptable going forward. So um, since that time, our CEO instituted an initiative called Renew 2022, 
and um, that was a kind of internal process of tightening our belts and reducing budgets by 1%, um, which really saves $10 million a year. We had an outside consultant come in, KPMG, and they've been looking at each of our departments to see how we can uh, institute process improvements and make our, uh, if I can use an analogy, in the private sector, bankruptcy will allow for reorganization and you have to really think about how to be efficient. In government, we don't have that. We really... Well, there is, but it's it's there is a uh, there is a way for a government to go bankrupt. Fresno, but we don't but, want to go that. But direction. it's 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 really terrible when that happens. Painful, uh, yeah. 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 And 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 so what we do is, um, <clears throat> you know, in government you can get more mandates and things can just be stacked one on top of another, and you get to be not very nimble um, and very hard to get policies enacted and things conflict. So these process improvements that KPMG has recommended um, help strip away some of the excess that's no longer needed. Well, when Um, we, we Joan, when we talk about the excess that's no longer needed, uh, I think if we can put that into terms of where that uh, opens up opportunities for uh, citizens uh, and uh, property owners, uh, renters uh, and businesses, what, what are some of the things that that will change? Well, what we're working on, for example, is our planning and development department and the kinds of permits that are required for different kinds of activities. And can we, uh, what we call downshift permits, do we need a conditional use permit or could we do it with a lower level permit? Now, or what's, a, what, what's a downshift permit? Um, uh, For example, a conditional use permit is a discretionary permit that can be appealed all the way up to the Board of Supervisors. Right. And uh, it can create a lot of uncertainty in cases where that's required. So in some situations, instead of having that, uh, we could downshift to a lower level permit that isn't quite as demanding uh, a land use permit, or even what's called a zoning clearance um, that uh, could be decided by the Director of Planning and Development. So the less uh, the less onerous the permit requirement, um, the less process that a, a business owner or a, a, a landowner has to go through for um, the required permitting for their activities. So these are ways to make it uh, not as onerous, and and we don't. So we're reviewing our entire planning and development to see how we can make it easier for for our internally, if we don't have to go through all this process, and then also for people seeking permits um, to make it easier. So uh-huh. that's just one example. Do, do they did uh, these consultants uh, have an estimate of how much? Uh that might speed up the average permitting cost or uh, timing? It really depends on, um, I, I can't give you an overall sense uh, exactly because it, it really depends on the project and, uh, and the kind of permit they're coming in for. But we are working hard to make it much more 
uh, transparent and efficient. And we're the planning and development process is not entirely complete, but it is something that we're we're working on as a result of this Renew 2022 initiative. And then KPMG came in and made additional recommendations. So now we're in the process of trying to implement those. All right. Well, that's that's good to know. If if folks want to weigh in on that process, uh, I suppose there's a way they can contact your office. Do you want to let folks know what that is? Well, let's see. You can go to my website, Joan Hartman, their district supervisor, and that will get you to my website and to um, my phone number. And we welcome people with our office is eager to talk to you about county issues in general or problems that you're having and to be a bridge so that people can better get the services or the information that they need from county government. And if it's not us, then to the city government or the special district or the state agency or the federal agency. A lot of people, in my experience, don't know exactly which level of government can address their their problems and their issues. So we try to help people sort that out. Now, now Joan, in uh, some of the counties in our state, um, Solano County comes to mind, the... Uh, voters had adopted an initiative that said that there couldn't be new development of, say, subdivisions anywhere outside of a uh, incorporated city. Is, is that a, uh, a rule that applies in Santa Barbara County? Uh, no, <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, there are There is an initiative that the city of Buellton had mm-hmm. that 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 was an urban growth boundary and said that uh, if you if the city wanted to expand its boundaries then it required a vote of the people in order to do that the city of Goleta had a, a similar initiative that said to rezone agricultural land greater than 10 acres it also required a vote of the people but the county doesn't as a whole um, we we don't have that kind of an initiative. It's uh, it's tricky because we have uh, we're we're in a critical housing crisis, right? And trying to figure out where we can put housing that will comply with the state mandates that uh, used to be just kind of a paper exercise, but the state is serious uh, because we are in such a crisis. So we're having to think about. Um, lands where we might not have encouraged development before, we might have to consider those to meet the state requirements. And um, I want to get back to that in a second, but um, and it might not be this particular segment of our show, uh, but uh, you've got a whole new community in your district now, Lompoc. And, you know, are there issues in Lompoc that are different from the issues that you were dealing with when you had uh, Guadalupe and other parts of uh, the county in your district? Um, There are some very similar issues to Guadalupe, Mm -hmm. uh, and and there are some that are quite different. Uh, Lompoc uh, is 60% Latino. It is a city that is... uh, economically one of the poorest in our county. It is a city that uh, has 
tremendous influence and opportunity because of its proximity to the Space Force Base. And it is, uh, I think, a community on the verge of a renaissance. It's got tremendous uh, assets, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they they haven't yet been fully realized. And I think uh, as people appreciate all of these, um, that I think the city is uh, really going to be on an upswing. Well, one of the assets Lompoc has, uh, I'm sure that this is... Uh probably not something people think about, uh, is there's actually a rail stop. It's just so far out of town at, uh, at the beach, <laughs> at Surf Beach, that uh, you'd almost need some sort of public transit to be able to get into town and, or to and from that rail stop and Lompoc. Uh, do you know if there's any uh, discussion about doing something like that? That's a great idea. Uh, I know that as as I talk to people, I meet regularly with people who are involved with um, youth and youth activities, and transportation is one of the issues that uh, gets raised over and over again. Lompoc is relatively flat, and it's not a huge community. Uh, it's about 44,000 people, um, and it is possible to get around on e-bike and uh, and even bicycles, although mm-hmm. the streets are not well designed um, to ensure safety. So uh, Mayor Osborne once suggested it would be great to have just a shuttle that's going around all the time. Uh, so that that is uh, an issue. You've put your finger on an important uh, improvement and we haven't quite figured out how to fund that yet, but it is something that people have mentioned repeatedly, so I'm glad that you're alert to that. Well, it's uh, it's a great town. Uh, I walked it door-to-door myself uh, several decades ago. When, when I walked door-to-door, there's a tremendous amount of wind there in Lompoc, in that valley, in the San Inez Valley, and... Uh, I know there's been some controversy about a um, project, I think it's called the Strauss Wind Project, uh, on San Miguelito Road there. Um, yes. Have you have you been, uh, well, uh, if you're on the Board of Supervisors, I'm, I'm sure you're dealing with that in some way. What, yes, well, it, it's in my district, and I've been uh, an advocate for that project since the beginning and, and have tried to... Uh, help deal with some of the issues that have arisen around cultural and natural resources. Hmm. And um, those have been resolved, and I'm happy to talk about them more, but uh, they're about to flip the switch to start the windmills, uh, the turbines, any minute. Really? So they've they've dealt with these issues uh, successfully, and now we're just waiting for the power to start. So do you know uh, when that's going to come online? Any minute. Any minute. <laughs> I want a photo shoot. Now, um, yeah. Well, Joan, um, I, I do have another question, but I want, want to remind listeners who may have just tuned in uh, to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We're having a talk with Santa Barbara 3rd District Supervisor Joan Hartman about the issues in Santa Barbara County and in her district. 
What I had uh, gathered from some of the controversy over the uh, Strauss Wind Project, Joan, was that there was a lot of concern over uh, bird migration down that valley. And uh, did that uh, was that something that proved to be a real problem, or was there a mitigation, or how, how did it, you handle it that? Is a, it is a very real concern, and there's two different um, agencies. There's, there's the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that was concerned about golden eagles under the um, Golden Eagle Protect the Bald Eagle Protection Act. Right. Golden eagles look like bald eagles until the, they're about three years old, and sure. so they are also protected under this act. And there was, uh, so before they could start the turbines, they had to get an incidental take permit from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Or, um, according to our county permit, uh, they had to get a letter from Fish and Wildlife that said uh, an incidental take permit was, uh, they'd met all the requirements Uh uh, to Mm -hmm. get that permit, even if it hadn't issued yet. So they actually did get that letter, presented that to the county, and uh, so um, the issue has been dealt with. Well, very good. And uh, one I, of- I could add, if I may, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. Um, in the county permit, there was a lot of concern from Audubon Society and others about what is going to be the impact of these turbines on. Uh, birds of all kinds, not just golden eagles. Sure. And so there is a provision in the permit that requires monitoring. And if the take of birds rises to a certain level, then they have to look at how they're operating the turbines and make some changes. Well, very good. And, well, we're coming up on a... Management. Joan, we're coming up on a hard break, and we're going to have to uh, uh, leave it soon, but I hope folks will stay tuned after the news. We have more to talk with Joan Hartman, 3rd District Supervisor. <music> 